I'm going to cover baptism tonight, and I want to do a comparison. And you know, when we compare things, we generally look at two different things. And if we're comparing a frog to a duck, we can look at the similarities and we can look at the differences. And there are some of both, but they're very different things. But when we compare baptism, it's one thing. And so you might say, well, how do you compare something that's just one thing? And the way that we're able to do that is because it's used in different ways today by different religious groups. And so as we think about baptism and, and the use of it, I want to look at how it's used in the New Testament specifically and think about how it is compared. And one of the ways I want to do that is study what it is not and what it is. And so this is kind of a rudimentary kind of a study, and it's foundational in a lot of ways. And so I want you to bear with me on that, because I'm certain many of you here have heard these things, or perhaps heard them all your life. And there are some here who are younger, or maybe who hadn't been here too long, who these things are foundational from Scripture. And because there's a lot of misunderstandings in the religious world, I think it's important that we look at these things. And so to jump right in, number one, baptism is not for infants. Now this is taught within the world and several different religious groups baptize infants. And they do that while they're very small, obviously. And so I want to take a look at scripture and see why I believe that's so and why I believe baptism is for people that are older and have some measure of understanding. And so the way I sum that up is that baptism is for those who are believers or who can believe. In the book of Acts chapter 8 and here verse 36 he says, As they went on their way they came to a certain water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now he's been learning about baptism. He's been speaking with Philip as he traveled along the way. And when they see the water and he sees the water, he says, is there something that I have to do? Is there something that hinders me before I can do this? And he said, if thou believest, you may. Well, in order to believe, we've got to have knowledge of an event. We've got to have understanding. We have to be familiar in some way to have an understanding and have faith. And it is simply impossible for infants to have that. They cannot communicate. They do not have understanding. In time they will. In time they'll grow and they'll mature and they'll be able to communicate. But one of the qualifications for baptism is a person has to be able to believe. In the book of Mark chapter 1 and there verse 5 he says and there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan confessing their sins. And this example of the baptism of John, these people who were being baptized were able to believe because they were able to go and confess their sins, which I've never seen an infant do. I've never seen an infant confess to anything. I've never seen an infant affirm anything. It's when they're older that they can confess. It's when they're older that they can believe. And so there has to be a certain level of maturity. And it's been a popular question for many years. And it will remain a popular question. Well, how old do you have to be to be baptized? And there's no answer to that question. 
You have to be able to understand and you have to be able to believe. You have to have the sense about you in your brain and in your maturity to understand sin and right and wrong and heaven and hell. And there are some people in this world who because of a mental illness or who because of some accident or an injury to their brain who will never be able to believe. And they will never be able to confess. And I believe they're just like an infant. They're innocent. They're not righteous. They're not evil. Those people are innocent. But baptism's not for infants. It's for people with understanding. The book of Mark chapter 16 verse 15 and 16. He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Baptism goes along with an understanding of Jesus. Belief is more than just simple belief that Jesus is Lord. It also comes along with responsibility to live a Christian life. Responsibility to change one's life and follow a pattern. I baptized my sister hundreds of times in the swimming pool. And she me. And none of it had effect. Because we weren't dedicating our lives to the Lord. We were reenacting something we saw. We did that in fun. Not out of dedication, not out of faith. And furthermore, within the pages of the New Testament and, and in the whole Bible, we never see infants baptized, ever. Only those who can believe, repent, and confess are baptized in the New Testament. That's number one. Number two, baptism is not sprinkling or pouring, but baptism is rather immersion in water. And you may say, well, why is that important? Well, the reason that's important is there's a lot of religious groups that in place of baptism or immersion, they sprinkle water on a subject or they take and pour a little bit of water on a subject on a person but I want you to notice just the word baptism itself is specific has a meaning to immersion and from Thayer's this is the Greek word 907 it means to dip to immerse to submerge that's the first definition and that's really the meaning of the word to cover in water the number two definition, to cleanse by dipping or submerging. Number three, to overwhelm. And when you go down in this water, you are overwhelmed of the water. You are not overwhelmed with water if I sprinkle a little water on you. If I take a squirt gun and I squirt Josh, he's not overwhelmed. Now if we had a dunking booth, and I, I wouldn't miss. I would, I would throw and Josh would go and be overwhelmed submerged in the water. And so this is the mode that we find within the pages of the New Testament. Once again, Acts chapter 8, verse 38, He commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. What did he do? He submerged him. And 
just the structure of the sentence would teach all of us that he's not talking about pouring. He's not talking about sprinkling. He's talking about completely immersing the eunuch. And so they both walked down into the river. Maybe it was a river, I don't know. Maybe it was a pond. But they both walked out into the water, whether it was a river or a pond, and he baptized him. He submerged him totally and completely. So baptism is not sprinkling or pouring. No one is ever sprinkled or poured with water for baptism in the New Testament. Everyone in the New Testament is immersed in water for baptism. Number three, baptism's not a bath. Now you may say, now you're, you're just being silly. No, I've had a lot of people, when I do Bible studies and things of that nature, they say, well, it just looks to me like your sins would go away every time you take a bath. And that's not what baptism is. Baptism is specifically the washing away of sins, not a physical washing. And so people sometimes refer to 1 Peter 3.21 where it says the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us not the putting away of the filth of the flesh but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, What's he talking about here when he talks about baptism? He's talking about a cleansing and we all cleanse things that are dirty. We wash dirty clothes and dirty dishes and we wash ourselves when we're dirty. And what do we do? We get in the water or we put those things in water and we immerse them and we clean them. And so he's using the illustration for washing of sin, not washing of flesh. And this was one of those issues that probably was a struggle for the people that were Jews of that day and of that time. And here's one of the reasons. In the book of Mark chapter 7 verse 3, Jesus said, For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not. Holding the tradition of the elders. And they had a lot of what we would call physical rules. They physically washed their hands in the sense of being pure spiritually. And they physically washed their feet. And there were many things that they did physically that they felt cleansed them in some way spiritually. And I'm talking about physically washing their hands. But baptism is not a bath. And it's not something that has to be repeated over and over again to be cleansed. But it is a cleansing of sin. And sin's not physical. Sin's a spiritual issue. In the book of Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, the apostle said, Now while tarriest thou, arise and be baptized and wash your foot? No. Wash your head? No, wash away your sins. And in this instance, Saul is told by Ananias he needed to get up and act. He needed to change the situation of his sin. Because he was living in sin, he had committed sin, and the thing to do to get rid of that sin was to wash it away. And that's what baptism is. It's a washing away of sins. It's a cleansing from sin, not a physical cleansing. Notice Acts chapter 2 and there verse 37. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, I'll tell you, most of us probably have felt that feeling of being pricked. Felt a, a feeling when we're sitting there and hearing a sermon preached 
Or maybe we're at home alone. Or maybe we're visiting with somebody about some situation in our life. And we have a sense of guilt and we're pricked in our heart and we go, I'm wrong. I've done wrong. I've committed sin. I'm not where I ought to be. I'm not doing what I need to do. And that's the situation these people were in. And so they asked the apostles, what should we do? And they're told, repent, change your mind, and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Now what's the reason for the remission of sins? To wash the sin away. And people who feel like baptism is just a bath don't understand what it is. It's a spiritual cleansing is what it is. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you what this tells us. Until you do this, you have your sin. Until you do it, you're in sin. Because this is what washes away sin. Baptism is not a bath. It is the washing away of sin. Number four, and this goes hand in hand with three, it's not magical water. I I remember real clearly the first time I ever heard somebody tell me this. He said, you believe in magical water? I said, what? I was in in Mississippi and I was talking to this guy. I was inviting him to church. He said, there ain't no power in the tub. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you guys believe in dipping everybody and baptizing everybody. He said, there's no power in the tub. It it ain't magical water. You know what kind of water this is? City of Wheeler water. It's just water. It just comes through the pipes. It's not special water. It's not pure water. It's not been prayed over. It's not been sanctified. It's just water. And it's not water that does the cleansing. You know, in Acts chapter 8, we read about this eunuch. And as he went on their way, they came to a certain water. And I don't know how familiar you are with the passage. But earlier, the Bible says the Spirit called to Philip and said, Go to the south. Go into the desert. And so that's where he went. Now you and me, we think desert. And we think Wheeler, Texas. That's desert. (laughs) Because it never rains around here, right? But desert, in the sense they used the word, meant an uninhabited area. a, A wilderness, we might say. And so we think of desert and think, well, there's no water there. That's really not the The meaning. The meaning was that he went out to a place where there weren't very many people. Not to a place where there was no water. So I want you to notice with me, they went on their way, they come to a certain water. I don't know about you, but I visualize that in my head. I think about the chariot, I see those horses, they're trotting along. And there is Philip talking to the eunuch and they're having this discussion about baptism and they roll along and what is there? Water. What kind of water? Was it a Walmart kiddie pool? No. I see a pond. They came up to a pond. 
But you know what? I got talking to those guys in Nigeria. They said they went to the river. In my mind, I don't ever see a river. Because there ain't very many rivers around here. Because <laughs> we live in the desert. What'd they come up to? A pond, a river, I don't know. Just water. It wasn't a sacred pond. It wasn't a pond that had been blessed by Jesus. It wasn't a river that had been sanctified in some way that they had taken the thorns of the cross and dipped into that water and cleansed it. Just water. Because the power has not in the water. The power is in what's being done. Notice with me Mark chapter 1 verse 5. And there went out to him all the land of Judea and they at Jerusalem. They were all baptized of him in the river Jordan. What's special about the river Jordan? Nothing. Just a river. I suppose it's the closest river. And that's why. And I've known several people in my life that traveled to Jerusalem, that traveled to Israel because they wanted to be baptized in the river Jordan. And every time I said, why? It's just water. And we may think of it as more special or more cleansing or... No, it's just water. And it's not about the water, it's about the person and it's about the action. The waters of baptism is never blessed, it's never prayed over, it's never sanctified, and no one specific body of water was ever used. Here's why it's important to understand that baptism is a burial. It's not about the water. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning of verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which is preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand. By which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Now listen carefully. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You know what we don't do? We don't have a funeral. And we go to the cemetery and we rarely watch the casket get covered. We get in the car and we go home. We hardly ever watch that. Now, that's just a custom, I think, here where we live. But I want you to think about this fact. Jesus died and he was buried. What is buried? It's to be covered, isn't it? Covered in the ground. Covered in earth. That's what it is. Now, I've had a whole bunch of dogs in my life. 99% of them didn't get buried. Two or three were special, and I buried them. I dug a hole. I'm not saying six foot, but a Fido hole. I dug a hole. I put Fido in the hole and I covered him up. I buried him. And not one did I leave his tail sticking up out of the ground. If his tail's sticking out, is he buried? No. Jesus was buried. And he says this is the gospel. The fact that Jesus died for our sins and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to scripture. He said this is the gospel. Now the word gospel is a fascinating word because it just means good news. 
Here's the good news. Jesus died and he was buried and he rose again the third day. Romans chapter 6, 16 and 17. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants, God be thanked rather that ye were the servants of sin, but that ye obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine which was delivered you. The form of doctrine delivered is this gospel. Death, burial, resurrection. This is a form. A form of doctrine. Now I want to back up in Romans 6 to verse 3. The apostle says, Know ye not, or don't you know, that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. How is that? How is that? How is it that when we're baptized, when we believe and repent and confess, how is it that we're baptized into his death then? And not when we're kids in a swimming pool. Notice what he says. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, that even so we also should walk in newness of life. We're talking about a life-changing event. That's what we're talking about. An event that changes your life. You know, for a long time in my life, there was before the tornado and after the tornado. It was this event that just separated them. And for most of us, there's a before we were married and after those events. If you're married long enough, that ceases to be. This is like there never was a before. This is an event that changes your life. You're being raised to walk a new life, a different life. This is a life-changing event that he's describing to us here. Romans, let's continue. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. So he's describing here a burial. And I want you to think back to this form of doctrine that he's talking about. That form of doctrine. And he's describing baptism as a form of something else. And here's that form. Jesus died on the cross and he was buried in a tomb. Now his tomb maybe was a little different. A cave in the rock and they rolled a stone. But he's still covered. He's entombed in the ground. And finally he was raised up to walk a new life. A life of resurrection. So when you look at this. And you get a sense of what Jesus did. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. What is the form of that? And a lot of people are going to try to some, put some spiritual attribute on that. They're going to say belief is a form of that, or repentance is a form of that. Or accepting Christ into your heart. I'll tell you, none of that makes sense because none of that's a burial. And I want you to think about baptism in this way. Jesus was buried, and you and I can be buried with Jesus in baptism. 
Like Jesus died, our old man's got to die. And I want you to listen carefully because I think this is a really important thing for us to understand. If you stand up before this group of people and you say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, there's responsibility on you. When you say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you are going to be His servant. You are admitting He's your Lord. And you're going to follow Him and serve Him and follow His commandments. And if you want to be free from sin, then you've got to be willing to confess and repent and say, I'm not going to live for myself anymore. I'm going to live for the Lord. And this old man's going to have to die. And once this old man's died, then we're going to bury him. And right here is where he's buried. In this water. Heard about a church in California one time. They baptized in rose petals. Well, sounds really good, don't it, Matt? Rose petals. Well, why not rose petals? Why couldn't we be baptized in other things? Milk and honey. I, mean, I don't know. He chose water. And water is something that you can easily be covered in. It's something that's readily available. It's something that's everywhere. And when we confess and repent, and we name the name of Christ, and we go down in that water, we're surrendering our life. We're surrendering our will. And that's where we're buried in Christ. And then we come up out of that water, changed, you see. Because it's not magical water. It's not about the water. It's about the form of doctrine. And going into the death and the burial. And if you're going to be baptized, I'll tell you, you're going to have to be baptized with Jesus. If you want forgiveness, then you're going to have to do what Jesus did. And you're going to have to go where Jesus went. And he went into the grave. And you and I are going to have to go down into the grave of baptism and be washed and be cleansed. Number five, baptism is not an outward show of an inward change. I hear it a lot. Baptism is just the new birth. It's not just an outward sign. I want to show you why. Again, Acts chapter 8, 26. The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, And rise, go to the south into the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. What's in the desert? Not no people. He arose and went. Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. The spirit said to Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. As they went on their way, they came to a certain water. The eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? The Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And if you're familiar with the passage, they both go down into the water. He baptizes him. I want to ask you a question. If this is an outward show of an inward change, why didn't he say, you're going to have to wait till you get to town? You can be baptized, but you can't do it out here in the desert. Because people are going to have to see this sign of your change. He could have waited. He done it right then. Now I want to go on Acts chapter 16 verse 25. You're familiar. After midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. 
And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened. Everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And if we keep reading, they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized. He and all his straightway. If it's an outward show, why didn't they wait till daytime? Why didn't they wait till everyone was around to see? Why didn't they do exactly what most religious groups do, which is wait two or three weeks or a month or six months until we have a big baptismal service? Why'd they do it in the desert? And why'd he do it in the middle of the night? We baptized some folks in Arkansas in the middle of the night. And I'll tell you, it wasn't too easy because they were worried about snakes. And honestly, I was too. We pulled all the cars out there and turned on the lights. And we had flashlights and everybody, people watched for snakes. Been a lot easier to wait till daytime. Why do it in the middle of the night? I want to tell you why. I want you to understand why. Because this is a burial. This is for those who believe to be immersed in water for the washing away of their sins. It's a new birth. It's because when you do this, you become a new creature. You become a child of God. And that can't wait. It cannot wait. That's how important it is. Middle of the night? Yeah. We got to bust the ice? Yes. We got to mash you down into the mud to get you covered with the water. Because this is life and death. It's eternity. It's heaven and hell. It's not just an outward show. It's much greater than that. In the book of John, chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That's a wonderful statement. He comes to Jesus and says, We know you're from God. We've seen what you do. And no one can do that unless God's with him. I want you to notice what Jesus said. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It really, he didn't come ask him a question. He didn't really come and say, what do I need to do? He said, I know you're from God. I know you're from God. 
And Jesus said, if you're not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That's why I'm trying to tell you, it's not an outward show. That's not near enough. I'm going to tell you, that's way too shallow for what's going on. This is a life-changing new birth. Because if you're not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And I remember about five years old hearing that and thinking, "What? That is so gross. What in the world? You know why? Because a child can't understand. But you and I can understand what he's talking about a new birth for the old man to die I heard a person say one time that God is the God of second chances I think he's greater than that he's the God of a new birth not the God of just a second chance a new you a new creature with a totally different attitude, a different personality, a different spirit. Notice what he goes on to say. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say unto you, you must be born again. To be born right here is to be born of the spirit. To be born of the flesh is to go to the hospital and do it. To be born of the Spirit is to do it right here in a spiritual way. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Peter said, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the Spirit. And when you're baptized into Christ, you get the Spirit and you get the water. I don't believe it could be more plain. Those two things come together. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Galatians 3, 27, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And it all comes together. Baptism is the birth of a new creature. Through the death, burial, and resurrection. We obey that form. And that's where God acts and he cleanses you. And when you come up out of this water, you're not you, you're Christ. It doesn't matter if you're 100 years old and been the worst sinner in Texas. When you come up out of that water, you're a brand new creature. Cleansed and made whole and given a new spirit. So to conclude today... Baptism is for those who believe, repent, and confess. Baptism is for those who understand. Number two, baptism is immersion in water. Not sprinkling, not pouring, but always immersion. Number three, it is the washing away of sins. Number four, it is a burial. And number five, it is the new birth. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.